0: always in pursuit podcast my name is aaron i am on staff at pursuit community church and we are joined today by megan not megan just kidding <laughs> i don't even know why i said that looking right at her face bobby our children are you pastor. okay Bob? i'm fine yeah it's the lunch yeah. hello everyone yes. yeah. pastor, bobby. Um, <laughs> pastor bobby <laughs>
1: sitting in megan's spot that's, that's right <laughs> that's
0: i think that's what it was yeah poor, uh, Me- poor megan is sick at home today yeah, she is. we'll see what here. happens with her yeah mm-hmm. Prayer is up for her, and we're also joined by with by with Pastor Mark. You're crushing it today, I know, man. I am. Well, this is like our second I time Jake. around. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping <laughs> so, that
2: nobody other than David
0: noticed because we only had one person on the feed. But yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, and so you guys are here uh, listening to us. This is our sixth, fifth week of doing this podcast, uh, and this is serving as a supplement to our Here for Good series, as we talk about church and uh, being on a rescue mission to get church back to the way it was always intended to be. Uh, And we're primarily focused on the Book of Acts and uh, Jesus and the Apostles and all of those things that happened uh, to create the first church.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we
2: we are live. We don't know why we're doing this live, just for fun. But if somebody is on uh, Facebook or YouTube, they can ask a question and we'll see it we can see it live and we can either put it on screen or just answer it. That's so right. if you are one of the only people on, you're welcome to ask us a question. Um, this week we're in Acts chapter two, uh, verses 42 to 47. I, uh, You know, this is an iconic passage. It's one of those passages that I think like for all of us uh, is like the first best picture of the church. This is post Jesus, as Jesus's ascension and post the Holy Spirit coming into the lives of the believers. So they now are equipped to do what they've been called to do. And uh, Jesus has gone so that the spirit could come. So this is the first time the church is sort of operating on its own with the power that it needs. And in my mind, the, again, the best first picture of what the church was intended to do um, and to look like and what we are intended to accomplish. Um, I don't know about, Your guys' history with Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, but I can remember reading Rick Warren's uh, book on church, uh, Purpose Driven Life, Um, Purpose Driven Church. I'm not sure which one I read, but I remember... Yeah, for those of you that don't know, uh, there were probably a dozen different (laughs) purpose-driven books and things. There was like purpose-driven stationery and (laughs) purpose-driven bookmarks
0: and purpose-driven t-shirts. I think there was like purpose-driven life, purpose-driven ministry, purpose-driven... Yeah. carbine. Right. um, It's, uh, that part of
2: things is real stupid. And if you go to Saddleback today, it's like going to Disney world. I mean, like Mm -hmm. just Google some pictures of Saddleback. You will just roll your eyes a little bit. However, I need to give some props to Rick Warren because you know, it's solid stuff. Like what he's talking about is really solid. He's the one, you know, I say all the time, the church is not here to serve you. You are the church. We are here Mm -hmm. to serve the world. That is literally lifted right from Rick Warren's, um, his book and his stuff. And, you know, had a huge impact on me, like looking through what the church was actually supposed to accomplish and the five purposes that he lays out. And there's probably more that we could talk about. They're all easily, um, seen in the first, this, this section. Uh, and so I don't know about the cottage industry stuff. I will say about Rick Warren and I'll get off of Rick Warren, uh, for a second here, but (laughs) he, um, he, uh, made all this money outside of the church and the first thing he did when he sort of struck it rich there was he paid back his salary for his entire lifetime at the church hmm. and now lives on 10% of his income and gives away 90% of his income. Hmm. So, I mean, we could kill him all day long for having Disneyland you know, <laughs> campus <laughs> for his main church with 20,000 yeah. people, yep. and we could kill him for purpose-driven stationery. Yeah. But um, the guy's pretty kingdom-minded in my book. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And if we're going to talk about who's like – America's pastor now or you know, I'll use the word evangelical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now that there's no Billy Graham, you know, it, it kinda of turned into Rick Warren, you know, yeah. in a weird way. A lot so of people know him, yeah. So I'm I'm not passing judgment on him. I'm just saying, I mean it's Rick Warren or Kanye West is one <laughs> <laughs> <I>, I'm um <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say about that. So so Acts chapter two, forty two to forty seven is this beautiful picture of what the church looked like in its first iteration after they had the right power, you know, the Holy spirit in them. And after Jesus had ascended and he wasn't sort of, you know, I imagine Jesus, when he was teaching disciples and the 120 in in between time, between going to the cross and uh, raising from the dead before he ascended, like he probably sucked the air out of the room. Like probably it wasn't much of a conversation (laughs) as much as it was Jesus teaching, right? Yeah. Well now he's gone. So now that leader the the void is there. Like okay, who's going to step up into leadership? What is mm-hmm. this going to look like? What is the purpose of this thing? How is it going to uh, going to operate? And all those questions get answered in this one little tiny five verse, beautiful yeah. little passage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my point on Sunday was that this community was winsome. Mm-hmm. There was no control or manipulation. There was no, um, you know, there was no extra layers of stuff on top of this community. It's like the purest form of what a church should look like. And, you know, it was enjoying the favor of all the people. There were people joining every single day who were, you know, finding faith in Christ for the first time and being baptized. Like they were doing ministry both in the public square and in their homes around tables. Um, You know, and we're going to see further organization later uh, because there's a necessity for it. So this is a more organic picture of it, and mm-hmm. it's sort of a little bit looser, um, but I don't mind that. I mean, to me, I look at this and think, okay, the, there is an organic function of the church that, like, I get tired of us having to program every single thing that's happening, and there should be a yeah. lot happening in the They're church right. that's not programmed. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the passage we're, we're touching on today. Um, I don't know what your guys' like, history with Acts chapter two forty two to 47 is, or your thoughts on that passage, but... Um, You know, that's the one we looked at this weekend.
0: Yeah, I think for me there's a couple thoughts. Uh, It's beautiful. I love it. It's really great. Um, I've had both positive and negative experiences with this passage over the years as a Christian. Uh, Positive in the sense that, like, it really encourages me, especially being in pastoral ministry, being a professional Christian, like, this is the goal that we should really aspire to Mm -hmm. or the blueprint that we should follow. The negative thing is that I think people, there have been people that I've known over the years that have taken this passage and it has become like the battle cry. And so in some ways it almost gets like, I don't want to say abusive, but um, they take it too literally sometimes and they're not willing to like adapt this passage for like a modern context.
2: Or Yeah, tell me about or, that. What do you mean when you say that?
0: I kind of understand, but I also... Don't. Like, they want to, like, go start a commune out in the woods or something. Oh, yes. That's, you know I mean? Like, it, it becomes... Uh, there's too much of an emphasis or focus on, like, the tight-knit nature of that first church in that group. You yeah. know? Like, you're calling it winsome. I think some people see that. And the juxtaposition is they compare this to, like our modern culture and they're like, Oh, we got to get out of culture and like go start a commune somewhere. And it's yeah. like, Mm-mm. that's not what this is about. No,
2: it's the opposite. No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we're still in the city.
2: hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about where they started doing ministry, but yeah, yeah it's the opposite. In fact, I didn't even touch on the, was this, a communist community (laughs) because it's a stupid conversation, to be honest with you. It's one that takes away the emphasis of what the passage is about. And um, if you can't figure that part of it out, if you think that Christians should be communists, like, Socialists, yeah. I don't really know what to say about it. Like Bernie Sanders loves this passage. (laughs) I'm kidding. Okay, Okay, whatever, man. You know, it's like that's not that's definitely not what this passage is about, and it's like a conversation that just is wasting effort as far (laughs) as I'm (laughs) concerned. So, I'm going to read the passage if you guys will let me. So, uh, Acts 2 42 to 47, the fellowship of the believers, which takes on a new meaning for those of us who have watched the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) I never would have connected those dots. The fellowship fellowship of the believers. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property, possessions they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, And so it's just this concise five-verse little passage Mm -hmm. that, you know, we talked about the idea of devotion. And it's, it's kind of actually that's been a weird connection point kind of through this because we were talking about witnessing and talking about being a witness and, you know, talking about as the church began here, like what it, what it took for this to happen. This idea of being devoted, it is like it, devotion costs you something, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: right? So if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, (laughs) the root word is like to say, I'm going to devote this thing to this purpose. So a lot of times we would talk about it like, as in uh, financially, I'm going to devote this pot of money. Pot of money to this thing. I'm going to devote, you know, my time to this cause. But devotion—if you're going to do it—it costs you something. There isn't really a way to 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 devote something without losing something, Mm -hmm. right? So, when the first believers here are devoting themselves to this church and to this movement, it costs them something. It costs them, um, you know, probably some standing within the Jewish community. It cost them financially, it cost them in their generosity every time they gave away something they were giving away from their their possessions to cover somebody else and I think like we we sometimes get this idea that we can kind of like you know go through the motions at church without it really costing us anything mm-hmm. um, it's like a it's a major uh part of being a consumer, which we've been talking about for weeks, yeah. If you think you can show up at church, do a service, go home, and you give nothing, you serve nowhere, you're not making a difference in anyone's life, you're not inviting anyone into that thing, you're not having fellowship with people, you're not in community with people, like, you're you're not really doing it right. (laughs) So, like, you're not devoting anything to
0: to that place. The more we talk about this, the more I feel like this might be the single biggest disservice that the modern church has done to Christians over the last my lifetime, 40 years, 50 years, hmm. to turn Christianity to turn, you know, being a part of the body of Christ into something that's passive. Yeah. Cuz that's not At all, it is. And this is not a foreign concept. I mean, if I want to help out with, like, my kids' sports teams, I have to be willing to, like, bring snacks or, like, Mm -hmm. help coach or, you know, when they're older, like, be a part of the booster club or something like this. Like, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of other groups and affiliations that we can have in this world that cost us something, whether Mm -hmm. it's money or time or – participation Mm -hmm. and yet for some reason for some unknown reason people subconsciously and sometimes consciously if we're being honest they are totally fine with being a passive christian which is also like it may not be the definition of consumer but it is a very congruent like Mm -hmm. they're moving in the same parallel direction like there's
2: like five values of being a consumer christian one of them is a very limited devotion. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, don't it doesn't cost me anything. No. Right? No. Um, and that was not the case for the first church. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first couple centuries of the church, it was essentially being persecuted, mm-hmm. like, the whole time. Yeah. One of the reasons why, and we'll get into the house church movement later, but, like, why? one of the reasons why people, I think, read this and think the ministry was happening around a table, it was happening in people's homes. Yes, it was. It totally was but also for the first couple of centuries, there's the only place it could happen.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Like they're going into the temple here to, to preach in a minute and also in chapter three and then further on. And it's like, they're in danger when they do that. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. and you know, under Roman, the Roman sort of government for the next couple hundred years, they would be in danger through those first couple of centuries. It was like always in people's homes. It was always inside somewhere. And there wasn't a building or a place where you could gather people together to there's no building that you could rent there's no like hall <laughs> that you could go like yeah. you know there's no community center where you could be like hey we'll pay you you know a couple hundred bucks and have some people come mm-hmm. in and we'll do a service like yeah. it just wasn't a thing so you did it out, outdoors open air it was probably gorilla style you were probably like doing it hoping not to have somebody come disrupt it yeah. for the time you were doing it and then you
0: packed it up quick and got out of there before you were yeah. persecuted over it yeah it literally had nothing to do with the location, the locale. It had everything to do with the relationship and the participation. Yeah. That's what it had to do with.
2: And it takes on different forms. It happens around tables. Yeah. It's a really important form.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It happens publicly. It happens, you know, uh, gathered. Mm-hmm. So when people are trying to separate these things and they want to go, the new, you know, the church has lost its way. It needs to go back to being in homes. Like, Sure. Yeah. That's one form of it. And Mm -hmm. an an important one Mm -hmm. also needs to be happening publicly also needs to be happening in a gathered form. We see throughout the first uh, section here. So to me, it's like, yes, it was taking place around a table. And I think actually we've probably lost some of that today. And I think that might be what people are actually really saying Mm
3: -hmm. when Mm
2: -hmm. they are kind of fighting against the size of the church. They go, is anyone really getting anything out of going to a church that's Two thousand eight thousand ten thousand twenty thousand people, you know, like are you really getting anything out of that like it's a consistent conversation I have with people who drop out of the mega church that's around us, not because there's anything wrong with it, it's fine, but when they drop out they go, yeah, we just couldn't get to know anyone, couldn't get connected in any yeah. community, there was no way for us to really serve like. How in the world do you give twenty thousand people an opportunity to serve? <laughs> like, how do you have small groups for twenty thousand people? It's just not a, it's not a concept that works, no, um, or works easily. Um, yeah, that's very hard. And we've lost that around the table portion of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that part of it is really important.
1: Which I think families have shifted too, because they don't do around the table either. So now it's become this hard thing to prioritize or hard thing to. Um, just build into your life because you don't do it anywhere else and so it requires in modern day culture even more of a sacrifice Mm -hmm. like we can easily devote time to um, the sports teams that our kids are in because they require a bit more but for whatever reason we come to church and we're just devoted so many other places we haven't taken the time to make the priority church instead of Mm -hmm. basketball or whatever it is
2: or we now are devoting that hour Yep to go to service but we don't have anything happening around our tables yeah and if we do have something happen around our tables like you said it's once a week yeah. with, with our family yeah in fact i think the latest data that came out i read something a couple of weeks ago was that the average family has one meal around a table once a week so yeah. i mean that's <laughs> you know sad it's not yeah <laughs> There's something that happens around yeah. food, and yeah. around the, I know we yes. say it's like one of our yes. values that we don't, you know, our unwritten values. Our yeah. sixth value is food, but food, yeah. but seriously, like something happens around a meal, yeah. and something happens around a table, and it's an important element mm-hmm. in building something within a family, building something within a community. Yeah. It's also an important element to inviting people into your lives. You can't share much deeper than when yeah. you invite them into a meal. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that's something that we could strive to do just as a church in general is just inviting a neighbor over for dinner, like set aside a night, like Tuesday nights, like we're gonna try to invite someone to join us at our table, because um, that's the best way to either show them who Jesus is, or even just invite a friend from church so you can build that community with yeah. each other. Yeah, it's easier said than done, obviously, but we have to make something a priority.
0: Yeah, I think I think people who attend churches have gotten used to not. Being pushed to yeah. do these kind of things, uh, they're used to just dropping their kids off in kids ministry and mm-hmm. then going to the service and then either leaving during the final prayer or like <laughs> or song <laughs> or just scooting <laughs> out of there as quick as they can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we don't we don't push on people anymore to do that. Not only is it not something that they're even aware as a need that they should be doing, like we don't ever talk about that.
1: Well, because I feel like in the past, so many people have felt manipulated by the church or tried to, were guilting them into things instead Mm -hmm. of actually trying to challenge them to be the church the way that that it should be operating in community.
2: And that's what I'm saying about this passage. Mm -hmm. It's winsome. It's not manipulative. Yes. It's not controlling.
1: They had joy doing it. They wanted to.
2: no coercion. Yep. It's not shame-based. By the way, shame works really good. <laughs> there are entire organizations based on shame. Fear and
1: shame, yep. <laughs> this entire church is based on it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
2: So, um, but there's something winsome about it. That mm-hmm. when they start to do these things and when they start to build this thing, there are people drawn into it mm-hmm. because they're doing what it was intentionally meant to do. So, yeah. you know, just to review Jesus' like kind of parting words. We have the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, you know, um, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to teach people everything I've commanded you. I want you to baptize them, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And what he's saying there is, I will leave the Holy Spirit with you. Mm-hmm. I will be connected to what you're doing and empower you to do that. Then we go to Acts chapter 1, where it says, Hey, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, out to the ends of the earth. I wish he had said, out to the ends of the earth and for all time. You know, that, that, does, <coughs> that mission doesn't end. It's still yeah. our mission. Those two pieces... Are the missional piece of it. So, when we start talking through the f- the purposes of the church, like we have to understand that like that's what we're trying to accomplish. We are trying to, as we are going, make disciples, teach people, baptize them. As we are going to witness to this event and this person that is mm-hmm. Jesus, and to witness the transformation, like to to share, mm-hmm. to communicate the transformation that's happened in our own lives and among our own friends and our own family and our own church. Um, and what we see here, so. I wanted to kind of just quickly go over those five purposes because mission, I think, is the most important one that is really based on those two other parting word sections that Jesus leaves us with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then you have evangelism, okay. and I think evangelism is one of those things that, like today, is kind of like a, you know, millennials and Z are just not super comfortable with the idea of evangelism. It's a bad word, right? I mean, Was we're the e word? we're not far out of youth <laughs> ministry, right? I mean. Aaron, you're a year and a half out of youth ministry. Bobby, you were doing youth ministry a couple months ago.
1: Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, for me, it's
2: three and a half yeah. years. Uh, you know, millennials and Z, this is a, a struggle. Mm-hmm.
0: Evangelism's a struggle. And, you know, I don't know why. Why is that? When- well, I think we talked about this uh, earlier this week, not on the podcast, but... For a long time, I mean, it's, it's the whole push towards apologetics. Of uh, In Christian circles, we have to have not only confidence in what we believe, but we have to have, like, an answer for every question, an answer for every rebuke, an answer for every no. And what that inherently does is it causes you to not, you know, that word you used before, winsome, is perfect. It's the perfect word to describe this. We're trying to convince people why. <laughs> they should be a Christian Hmm. instead of showing them. Like, look at how much fun this is. is It's great, yeah. So I think, like, millennials, to a slightly lesser extent, specifically more Gen Z, they are the first generation that grew up being marketed to in very specific, intimate ways. Mm -hmm. And not only have they grew up in that environment, but they're very keenly acute to it like they know when something's being catered to them they know when they're being marketed to when someone's trying to convince them to do this thing to purchase this thing to be a certain way and so for the culture for that generation there's a strong focus on authenticity yep and not on uh ingen- being ingenuous mm-hmm. you know no don't be fake disingenuous disingenuous, disingenuous. yeah and so that's why you see a lot of young kids, uh, support, uh, movements, whether it's black lives matter, whether it's the LGBTQ plus movement, whether it's social justice, uh, you know, just different movements because they, they prefer authenticity over homogeny. They don't mm-hmm. care if you're different than them. They just want you to be who you are and they mm-hmm. celebrate that. <coughs> so when it comes to back to what we're talking about Christianity, for so long, we've been trying to convince people. We've been marketing to them yeah. why they should be a Christian, and that just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And if you go back to this chapter in Acts, this first church was not marketing itself. That's not what evangelism was. Evangelism was we're t- we're showing you mm-hmm. how great this is. Right? right. Like, yeah. look at how great this is. You know, you read it and it sounds fun. You're like, I wish I was part of that. That sounds great. Yeah. It's like a momentum. Like. Mm-hmm. And I think they were
1: also doing it at risk of their lives or totally, being yeah. thrown in jail. So there's that element of wow, this is important. That's
2: authentic. Yeah,
1: like oh, <laughs> they're preaching this. This right. is real. Like they totally, could be yeah. put in jail for telling me this. Yeah. Right.
0: So to kind of bring this back to like our context in the modern world, I think that's why a lot of people are attracted to that megachurch model is because it, you feel momentum when you have a critical mass of people, okay. when you have high production value. It's like a cheap version of this, what we find in acts right. like it feels winsome because you feel like you're part of something. Yeah. But if you actually look at the things that make you feel that way, it's not, it's not the same thing. feels manufactured. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 And I would say the difference in this for me, it, kind of, uh, building on what you said is the difference between modernity and postmodernity. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand that like our entire culture shifted over the past 20, 30 years. Yeah from going from a modern mindset to a postmodern mindset. So the modern mindset, and I'll just say baby boomers are like, they are the modern mindset. Mm-hmm. Like they're the ones that created this. And for them, bigger is better. Um, mm-hmm. More, you know, more resources, the larger, the more powerful we get. Like that actually feels like success to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not saying us, me, but like I'm putting my myself in the mind of a, a baby boomer. Also logic is the highest value Mm -hmm. so if you say to them okay great i'm going to build you a case on why you know christianity is true and jesus is right and you should accept him the case is built on logical thought patterns that are based on sort of uh agreed upon truths Mm -hmm. so you build a case and this is where you're talking about you see apologetics like more than a carpenter, and uh, you know uh, the de- evidence that demands a verdict. You know, yeah. like yeah. in yeah. what well, was the guy? That Roman's re- Road. Yeah, You've Romans the Road. reporter. There's one. The reporter guy. Uh, maybe that was evidence that demands a verdict. Was there Lee Strobel? Was yeah. It yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he. Yeah. That actually, the movie was actually really good about his. Anyway, so I'm off. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but modern, but modern thinkers, you build. You, you here's a piece. Here's another piece. You're, yeah. you, you're building something, and you get to the end of the conversation, and you're like now you want to accept jesus like did i make a good enough case and I, this is crazy but like in the mid 90s as like a younger sort of middle teenager i was taught this program called evangelism explosion which literally would be just think about how crazy this is in 2021
0: i in my mind even though i'm not familiar with this i can picture what the like logo branding looked and the like. pamphlet. guys yeah. was it like neon colors yes was um, there a kid on a skateboard, like, going off a ramp or something? <laughs> no, the, like, that would have been way too – yeah, this was very conservative Christian. Yeah. <laughs> so they'd be like, skateboarders, That's
2: the devil? Um, <laughs> you would literally go knock on somebody's door, and you had a script, and it was like, hey, uh, hi, can I ask you a question? You get permission to ask them a question. They'd be like, sure, psycho, what do you want? And um, you'd be like, if you were going to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? And then they're like, yeah, go to heaven because God's awesome. And he, and I'm, I'm a great person. They're like, probably the hospital first. But. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you're supposed to respond with like, there's like a, a logic tree where you would overcome any objections and move on to the next stage depending on what their answers were. So like if they say, no, I don't know, I'd be like, great, let me tell you how you can know. Or if they say, yes, I know, you'd be like, great. Well, explain to me why you think that would happen, and then you, <laughs> you're supposed to point out the flaws in their thinking, right?
3: Yeah.
2: And this is how evangelism was. It was like, it was like apologetics. It was yeah. like, I need to defend every aspect of this, yeah, and invite somebody and build a case and get them. We're in a postmodern world now. Yeah. that does not work at all. I'm not saying there's no place for apologetics. I think apologetics comes after you become a Christian, almost like you become a Christian and then you backfill with all of the like defense Mm -hmm. of why this is all true. It's almost like you experience it, you Mm -hmm. accept Jesus and now it's like, okay, well let me, let me solve some of these questions I have that like, this isn't all clean yet or tied up. Now let me, let me discover some of this other stuff and and you can kind of dig into the Bible and build some of those arguments or cases. Um, But I don't think, you ever argue somebody into the kingdom where that was a hundred percent true in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like you definitely could argue somebody into the kingdom. Then you'd be like, well, I built a big enough case. I overcame all your objections. So obviously you have to accept Jesus now. Um, (laughs) Do you guys
0: remember like growing up how popular like the, you know, you'd have some like apologetic master or like preacher would go sit and debate like some famous atheist. Uh That was like, that was everywhere. Right. Like, they, were, they would have, like, it would almost be like a rock concert. Like, you'd have to go buy tickets to go watch it. And right. as, like, a young Christian, you're like, oh, yeah, let's blow this <laughs> right. guy up. Can't <laughs> wait. Yeah. And then you'd be, like, taking notes, like, oh, I'm going to use this with my so-and-so at school or something. it's always, and like, like, the guy, who the apologetic person
2: was always a person with three names like it was always like David Brian, you know, yeah. Craig is going to be you know like, like they're going to beat this guy who works at a, a university somewhere, you yeah. know, and you're just like,
0: "Wait, what?" Yeah. Um they, they instantly vilified the like atheist or yeah. you know, agnostic and yeah. they were they were actually like really great people. Like
2: <laughs> I'm uh yeah, I just don't think and, and potentially that maybe works on a college campus now. Because, like, maybe maybe you have, like, people who are, like, thinking about big ideas,
0: and, you know, maybe that's a a place for it. The debate of knowledge and wisdom will always have a forum, I think, within our religion and spirituality. Mm -hmm. But, like, so many things, like, if that becomes the focus, especially when it comes to we're going to decrease or ignore, be blissfully ignorant of the winsome nature of evangelism, and then focus, replace it with we have to debate knowledge. We have to... I have to convince you. I have to have a proof of why you should be a Christian. Right. That's, you know, like it's so powerful. Like how could you not <laughs> become and he, a Christian? Here,
2: here are three reasons why it doesn't work for yeah. post-modernity, for millennials and Z. Yeah. One is um, there are no experts anymore. There's no such thing as an expert. Mm-hmm. You work at a college and you have uh, two doctorates. We don't care because I Googled something and I got a confirmation bias from somebody else who, you know, agrees with what I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Knowledge is very relative.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two. I'm going to remember these three. Two is you're trying way too hard. (laughs) Like if you're trying that hard to win me over, I think there's something a foul. Like I think there's something here that doesn't add up. Yeah. Yeah. You are desperate. You're skeptical of it. Yes. You're like, why are you so desperate about this? Why do you care what I think? Um, Three is there is no such thing as objective truth anymore no matter what it is that you're trying to say and you're trying to build off of there's not a there's not a non-christian in the world that has a respect for the bible so when you start saying hey this is all grounded in the bible they're like well cool let's have a conversation about why i don't believe in the bible yeah so there's no objective truth there's no truth even outside of scripture that we agree on i mean just i mean just think about some of the conversations we have like on a regular basis it's like you know, things that you would have thought never would come into question when you were, you know, younger, you know, 20 years ago are now like definitely not settled matters. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Like, I gender. Well, we're, we're not having like a – it's like I don't know it's true anymore. I'm not sure how to, you know, say the right thing or do the right thing. And it's like I had to learn how to use they, them – which I don't care. I'll use whatever pronoun you want me to use. I'm happy to do whatever mm-hmm. it is in the relationship with you that like makes you feel comfortable. But like you don't get to choose to be a plural. I don't know how to say they them. I'm terrible at this. I'm trying, doing my best. But <laughs> it's awkward in I English know. language. I'm such I'm learning start. it's yeah. But, trying. but like but like there is no such thing as objective truth. And I mean mm-hmm. nothing. there is no such yeah. thing as objective truth. This is why you hear like, Well, that's true to you, it's not true to me, or that's your truth, this is my truth. So when you're having an apologetic conversation, you got to start from somewhere, and you can't start from anywhere anymore. Mm -hmm. And no one cares if you're an expert, and everybody thinks you're being desperate. And I think this is why people are intimidated by evangelism, because they're like, I can't answer everyone's question. And also, they're turned off by evangelism because it feels like desperation, right? It feels like me trying to control or manipulate you.
0: Yeah, I would even add a fourth in there, too, of... There's a spectrum of evangelism, and there's a very i don't know I wouldn't say passive, but on one end it's very aggressive, you know the desperate what you're talking about right and I think that in twenty twenty one it's probably pretty rare in our culture to just never have been approached by someone around this, or maybe not an individual but like a church, maybe you you know have some sort of a church experience, you have something mm-hmm. or you've witnessed something in the public realm like you know, a, a scandal that happened at this church or whatever. And yeah. so you've built your own set of opinions and bias against Christianity. You've made your own assumptions. And so mm-hmm. evangelism, it's not like there's a universal set of rules. It's like it looks different person to person, church to church, denomination to denomination. And so That is really true. When you approach someone, it's like it's this huge mixed bag of a whole bunch of stuff. Yep. And who knows it's usually just gonna blow up. Like it's, it seems very ineffective. Yeah, Yeah.
2: And there's no clean cut script or way to do it. Mm -mm. And you got to take apart all their misconceptions and you got to like, so, I mean, when it comes to evangelism now, I don't think it's less important. We need to be doing it, but it needs to completely change. Mm -hmm. I'm actually thinking about doing um, a theological class every summer. Um, for the next couple of years that will just kind of like work on some real basics of theology and what to believe about God. But one of the things I was thinking about doing was just starting with evangelism because mm-hmm. like modern evangelism has to like completely change, yeah. you know, like it's, you know, it's it's just not working at all.
0: Maybe we should do it where, you know, when we incorporate, like if you want to be a member, you have to take the class or something. Well. <laughs> Uh, we don't do manipulation uh, of course <laughs> church. um but you know if you're looking
2: for a tip here's what I've learned uh two things that work really well I think one is um consistent relationship with no agenda at first yes yeah. yep you've gotta get to know your That's huge your neighbors yep you go to the same go to the same places, get to know the people that work there mm-hmm. go to this you know uh when you show up at a, a sporting event. Spend, like for your kids or something, spend the time getting to know the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't just go isolate yourself and put your face into your phone. Yeah. Like go around and chat with people. Even if it's hard, even if you're not an extrovert, make the effort to start relationships with people who aren't believers with no agenda. Just mm-hmm. start their relationship and then you can see where that relationship can go. The mm-hmm. second thing I would say is when it does come time to use your words, because I do think it always becomes a point where you need to use your words. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's one of my least favorite quotes. Where like, you know, uh, what was what the quote about like <laughs> living the gospel?
1: It's um uh like use words when necessary, oh, like God. kind of a thing. Yeah. I can't remember. Like share the
2: gospel always, always. Use words like when necessary. Yeah. Like <laughs>
1: or not use words. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah,
0: something like, sign, like above yeah. your door.
1: When
2: yes, it's something like live <laughs> the gospel, and yeah. you know, like I guess if you have to use words, like. Yeah no <laughs> at some point you gotta you gotta use your words yeah. like yeah. you know does that imply like pantomime <laughs> i don't know <laughs> no. so it just
1: means more serving oh, like, i think yeah. they're implying.
2: this is super funny because we went to culver's last night for um the kids the school has like a fundraiser yeah, every yeah. couple of weeks at culver's so we're there and there's tons of kids from the school tons of families from the school um and macy's running around with her friends and she's like she's like every time they would kind of come by us she'd be like hi dad my dad's a pastor. And so it was, like, it was up. not, it was not very long before every person in that culvert was like, Oh, that guy's a pastor. Let's, uh, oh, let's, let's steer clear. Here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a weird community. There's a lot of Christians at our kid's school. It's a, uh, charter school. And, uh, so some of them I have, we have relationships with that we know where they go to different churches or whatever. We're still all connected, but it is funny how people kind of duck you when they find out. Um, so, you know, have relationships with no agendas. Yeah. The second thing I would say is when it's, when you get a chance to use your words, like the best thing you can do is share your story. Yeah. No one argues with your story. (laughs) No one says, no, that doesn't seem true. Let me Google that. Mm -hmm. You go, here's my experience before I met Christ. This is what life was like for me. Now as a parent, as a single person, as a college student, as a whatever, here's what I'm trying to do with my time and my relationships. I'm trying to follow. um, Yeah. You know, I'm trying to follow Jesus. And here's what it's done in my life. I have this incredible community that takes care of me and I get to take care of them. My kids are growing up in something that's bringing, um, you know, some like values to their lives. Like this has really become a part of who we are and something that has really, you know, changed our lives. Mm-hmm. When you have a chance to share your story, that's the best form of evangelism that you can possibly use. Like I would encourage you go right down your whole story. Mm -hmm. try to think of ways to use parts of your story to communicate to different types of people. Um, If you're, you know, if you came out of an addiction and you know, like Jesus completely transformed your life in a moment. Well, great. That's a great story. Time to share that one with somebody who's in that, in that setting. But like also the boring parts of your story can become things that actually like, Hey, I was stuck in a rut. I felt like life Mm -hmm. wasn't going anywhere. I just wasn't sure where to go next. And then, you know, I turned to Jesus and I, Found this community and it's really transformed that that angst in my life. Mm-hmm. Right, like there yeah. are parts of your story that can come, become something that you can share easily and quickly. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And you're sharing your experience, which is not doesn't have to be a universal truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it is your it is your truth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you're sharing it with them, and they're thinking, okay, like I'm not going to go Google whether this is true and find the like dumb <laughs> argument against this. <laughs> I'm not going to go for confirmation bias. I'm just listening to a real person tell me something real about their life. Yeah, That's the best way. And yeah. if I was going to give you one more tip, like desperation, like if you're, you know, it's kind of like being the kid at the dance who's like desperate to dance with anyone. <laughs> Nobody wants to dance with that guy, right? Like, Why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> so, yeah, the desperation thing, like. I am desperate to see lost people come to Christ, but I don't want them to feel like they're being handled or I have an agenda
0: or I'm trying to manipulate them. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that will just stop the conversation completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we need to be able to hold both things at the same time and be like, I I do, I'm desperate. I want people to know Jesus, but mm-hmm. I'm also desperate to not push them away from Jesus. Right. And yeah. we have to hold both of those equally. Like. You yeah. don't want to do anything that's going to have negative effect. I think effect.
1: if I were to add something is to um, show others, you know, how you live with Jesus, like leading your life. Like, how do you go through that struggle that your father passed away what did what got you through that? Right. You know, like, what is getting you through um, the winter months when it's really hard and you're maybe struggling with seasonal, seasonal depression or something? Like, you have to be open with people about what God is doing in your life and where you're at personally. Because it's going to speak more volumes about how you turn to Scripture and that gave you hope when mm-hmm. a time that it was really hard. I think that's one area that we often don't include others in because we think we have to, as a Christian, we have to present ourselves as we have it all together. Like God's done everything. So I'm good. You know, like, yeah. like no, God loves me and he's going to walk through me, walk with me through this. Right. Yeah. But, and I need to rely on him to help me through these things. And I think that's huge. And one thing that changed my life in college when I realized like, I need to be friends with people regardless if they ever come to Christ. Yep. Cause I just need to love them. Mm-hmm. Like Christ wants me to and I can't have the agenda that I'm going to be friends with this person who maybe doesn't know Jesus just to get them to Jesus. Yeah. yeah. like That's wrong,
2: I think. (laughs) A hundred percent. It's sometimes manipulative and abusive. Yeah. And I know it sounds counterintuitive because you're like, no, you want everyone to come to Jesus. God wants everyone to come to Christ. I do. (laughs) He wants us to be actively evangelistic in people's lives, but we have to step back and say, you know, we sow and so and so, we don't always reap, and we're not—he's the one that reaps. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's know, not he's, our job. Yeah, it's—he's he's in charge. First Corinthians, I think, uh, chapter 3, it's early on, mm-hmm. it talks about, like, you know, who are all these people, Apollos, Cephas. Like, there mm-hmm. were basically people at the Corinthian church who were calling up the secretary every week and being like, who's preaching and they were like, we're coming to church based on with this guy's preaching or that guy's <laughs> preaching. They had their own little yeah. like sex within the church. Like, you know, we're Cephas people. We're, we're Apollo's yeah. people. And it's like, uh, they, you know, there's like this and you know, uh, Paul just reminds them like, it ain't us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we, we sow and so, and so God waters, mm-hmm. he's the one that reaps. Mm-hmm. He's the one that makes it grow. If something mm-hmm. comes out of the earth, you know, it's, we didn't do anything to make that happen. All we did was put the right stuff in the right place and let it be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the phrases I use a lot when I'm talking with people about like, um, about community and church and stuff, is I say things like, you know, yeah, like our small group was amazing. Like we had meals for two weeks. We Mm -hmm. had people come over and clean our house. Like, and I'll say things like, I don't know how normal people who don't have a church community around them get by and make it through these tough times. Yeah. Like, so again, you're inviting them into something and they're going, yeah, you know, like, I we we did that on our own. Yeah. You know, we, (laughs) we're, oh boy, we have another kid coming. We have nobody to lean on, you know, like, but you're sharing your story. You're not telling them how they have to live. You're just telling them that you don't know how you would have got through that. So again, you're making it about your story. I think that's like the key to evangelism nowadays. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I do think you, you, when the cho- the chance comes to go below the surface, you you got to take the opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you got to – even if it's a, a comment, just one or two or slightly, mm-hmm. they need to know when they talk to you, you're going to try to go there. Like, it's that important to you that it just makes its way into every conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not manipulative. It's not controlling. I'm still friends with you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Still care about you. Mm-hmm. But – I'm going to bring it up whenever yeah. I can, whenever there's an opportunity. Yeah. Not in a desperate
0: way, but like in a yeah. Just you know, real life way. So. I you know in student ministry for most of my career I've used this analogy when talking about this exact thing like because of the nature of young people and the fact that they're growing and developing and their brains are not fully formed and or functioning at an adult level like that prefrontal cortex is not quite there yet. Yeah. Um I don't, I've never viewed youth ministry as, like, the final end-all be-all. Like, if a kid makes a big decision, a faith decision, I celebrate it, I praise God. But I'm like, eh, the, the story doesn't end here. Like, no. it's just the first chapter. You right. know what I mean? Like, so the analogy to use, like, you know, a very um, agriculture-based <laughs> like thing. Um, Something you're very familiar with. That's yes. right. Mm-hmm. Uh I've always viewed, like, being a pastor, you know, working with students as, like, uh, I'm a farmer. Like, my job is to till the soil of a student's heart and mind and soul because there's a lot of things in that relationship that are out of my control. Like, a farmer can't control the sun. He can't control the wind. He can't control the rain. But he can, like, do everything else. Like, he can till the soil. He can get things just right so that that crop will grow. And I think that when it comes to evangelism, that's a helpful mindset to have of, like, we can't control other things. Like if we have an agenda, it's probably not going to work. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we just need to be responsible for the things that we can't be responsible for. So we need to like get things set and ready, represent Christ in the best possible way. Don't force it on people and be comfortable being friends with them and caring about them, even if they never accept Jesus. Like, (laughs) because ultimately what's going to turn that person's heart, mind, and soul towards Christ, towards a relationship with him is going to be Christ. It's going to be the Holy spirit. And so, That's I, I would say to like <clears throat> go along with
2: that like there's a, definitely something that happens in you when you start praying for somebody by name in mm-hmm. your life mm-hmm. and then taking opportunities to continue to further the relationship mm-hmm. and continue to try to go there with them yeah that that I prayer part of it is again like you tilling the soil and watering and mm-hmm. it's, something happens in you something happens in the relationship and I feel like if you ever want to see somebody come to Christ in your own personal life, you probably need to be praying about it for a long while before you're going to see it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think what we, we tend to do is evangelism-wise is actually just a church growth strategy where we try to pick off Christians from other churches and be like, oh, you guys aren't happy there? Oh, you're looking for a church? Why don't you come with me? That's fine. Like, if somebody's looking for a church, they're invited to come to Pursuit, happy yeah. to... If they're happy in a church, please leave them alone. Yeah. Right? Like, we don't need to be, be you know, picking off people from other places. That's not that's not what we're doing. No. We would rather reach your lost neighbor, your lost brother, your lost coworker. Mm-hmm. We would rather create a community for somebody who's not connected somewhere, yeah. hasn't gotten it figured out, hasn't, you know, yeah. hasn't cracked the code yet, mm-hmm. Um. Great. Those two things are what we're looking for. We're not looking for people who are comfortable in another church. Mm-hmm. No, I
1: don't want to just church swap.
0: But if they're not comfortable in another church. You are welcome. Go after some. those people. I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> Our pastor of connection is all about That's
0: <laughs> No, I, I think, like, on a serious note, uh, this whole series is about some of the dysfunctions and abuses and or mismanagement of the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've gotten pretty far away from the original, the OG. Like, And so people might be plugged in at a church or might just have their own mindset of what it means to be a Christian, their own flavor of religion. And we have to help them see that there's better out there, you know, and that might mean taking off from a different church. But like, I think what you're saying is like, if they're at a good place and it's a healthy place and they're, they're there, love them. Yep. Don't try and take them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, we have some great friends at the
2: kids' school that uh, one goes to Calvary, one goes to uh, Catalyst, the OG Catalyst, not the Mm -hmm. new White Bear Catalyst. Um, And we've got this great relationship, the three families, that, you know, we're trying to make a difference at the kids' school together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. We don't need to talk them into coming to our church to be part of it. We can work together with them, you know. Mm -hmm.
1: It's the same thing with students when they would find a church that they really loved. Because oftentimes students go to a church because their parents Go mm. there, right? So, I would encourage them, like, Oh, you're finding community, like, yes, like, be there, yep. pour in, mm-hmm. like, keep checking in with them. But, yeah,
2: I had this group of students one time, they came over from another church. Yeah, it's like five boys, <laughs> teenage boys, who we all know are the worst. Um, hey, they're secretly teenage the best boys, are I the teenage boy. um, yeah, like the 17 time? year old teenage boys are <laughs> as soon as they start driving. That autonomy thing kicks in, and they there's a pride and arrogance that they, you start to see that you got to like work out of them. At Ooh, I like to, I My pride and arrogance didn't hit until the 20s. So. <laughs> I, I was a great teenage guy. The girls are tough at 13. The yep. boys are tough at 17. Okay, So just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, If you have a 13-year-old girl at home, I'm praying for you. If you have a 17-year-old boy at home, I'm praying for you. Um, so I had these five boys come over and uh, from this other small church in Roseville, you know, come into our youth group, and just... The first thing out of their mouth was like, man, it's so great to be part of a great, you know, youth group. Like, we love it here. We hated our other church. We hated our other youth pastor. This guy was such a jerk. This is the dumbest, the worst stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I just said, hey, guys, you're not welcome here. And they're like, what? I'm like, you need to go over and get permission from your youth pastor to come over here, and you need to work out whatever it is that you have problems mm-hmm. with them. Like, you're not welcome to bring your issues to our youth I group.
0: remember when those five guys came to me and said, is it cool <laughs> if we go to Grace? <laughs> it wasn't you. I know. Um, it was a little church. I've never worked at the church ever It was a well. church you'd never find. <laughs> Roseville
2: Baptist Church is what it was. You'd never find it. I called the youth pastor, and I said, hey, your boys showed up. They are bad-mouthing you. I sent them back to you to have a conversation with you about what should mm-hmm. happen here. Um, never saw them again. Uh, as far as I know, talk, you know, followed up with the youth pastor later on, he did connect with them. They did work stuff out. Like mm-hmm. they did. So again, we're, we're not <laughs> trying to, We and by the way, if we just keep taking people who have issues with their churches that they're at right now, it's, church. It happens. It's what happens.
0: <laughs> so, uh, ignore what the children's pastor. Just, I'm, just, I'm going to no, move. Like it just, sorry, I'll move on. We're an it. imperfect church for imperfect people. Yes, I and mean, we yes. welcome that. That's right. Yes, but, but
2: resolve your crap before you come join. Okay? <laughs> so, no. All right, so <laughs> You're welcome. we talked about mission. We spent a lot of time on evangelism, which yeah. we wanted to do, which honestly yeah. is a big problem, I think, for millennials and Cs. Yeah. But something that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something the first church did really well yes. in a winsome way. Um, We also see here discipleship. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were meeting together daily. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think is happening in those meetings? They're having communion. They're learning from the the apostles. They're, you know, they're uh, probably worshiping together, you know. So, like, they're devoted to discipleship. And I don't think we always recognize that sometimes— taking in a one-hour sermon during a week and doing nothing else with your life, not being in Scripture yourself, not being in any community where you're studying anything, not being, you know, sort of sort of being stagnant in your faith. Like, if you're not growing, you're not following the purposes of the first church. And if we're not teaching people, we're not following the, first, the purposes of the first church. There has to be a discipleship plan on how to move people forward. There has to be, um, you know— I hate the idea of it being organized or or planned for, but you have to because it it just sometimes won't happen organically. Mm-hmm. So, you need spaces for people to be in small groups together. You need spaces for men to get together, for women to get together. You need a youth ministry that's really focused on you know working with your kid, your yeah. your teens. You need a kids ministry that's integrated with the family. Check. So that way. You know, like you're empowering, yes, you're empowering parents. <laughs> yeah, that's huge to disciple their kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, like discipleship has to be a piece of what you're doing. I mean, and it was part of what Jesus left us with that mission: go, mm-hmm. make disciples, teach them every, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's discipleship, and it was happening here in the first church. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a stagnant. You know, the, this isn't the faith that you just turn it on. You go great now. I know Jesus. Let me sit back and. Like you, you, you're called to grow, and yeah. you're called to help other people grow.
1: Yeah, Megan. Megan says food is really important as it, well. It's true. It is our, well. one of our values. Sixth, sixth
2: uh, value. Um, that was not one of Rick Warren's. That was not one of the purposes. Of,
1: yeah, but, he left that one
3: out.
2: But honestly, like, Dropped what, what do you think one? was happening around those tables? Yeah. And what do you think food, was what yeah. do you think was happening whenever they got together? Food. This is the funny part about uh, about doing communion because <laughs> we have this like. This like, uh, I don't know. It's a version of communion that we do in church now. That's like this. Like, can I use the word bastardized? Like, it's such a it's such a weird yes. thing. Yes, they, <laughs> they, <laughs> that feels wrong. As a, I know, but they were they were having full meals together. Yeah. yeah, full meals together and enjoying it, and then spending the time together. And it's like, I will give you if you're a small group leader, This is just.
0: So this is what I want to see. The next time we do communion in November, instead of the cups, I want to see a buffet line in front of the (laughs) stage. (laughs) And we're just going up and getting food. Everybody makes a plate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 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 I want
1: to see like large crusty like red rolls, brunch that you're just breaking apart. I know. And, like, I want
0: to see like an um,
1: around the
4: juice.
0: I want to see an omelet no. bar and a waffle maker up there. <laughs> Guy, like, Ooh, roast like beef carving
2: station. Yes. Yeah, I'm down, dude. <laughs> Brisket, a, a full brunch with church every week. <laughs> yes, we yes. would, dude. We would double. Be amazing,
1: double in size be and like, people. People, people be like, be like
2: have, you, have you had the ex Benedict at that church? It's amazing. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes. Um,
1: we do have food on the 14th. <laughs> Little plug, come yes, on, over. that's
2: right. <laughs> um, we do what we can, right? Yeah. We do what we can in that, in that environment, but it was a full meal. They're having a full meal together every time they did communion. Like, this discipleship, this community fellowship was happening around the table, it was happening in people's homes. Yeah. And this is just a tip for small group leaders, like feed everyone once in a while, like have a meal. Our small group, this is, I know, one of the craziest things, and I don't think everyone can pull this off, but we have the best, I should say my former small group, because now we're starting a new one. Um, we've kind of broken off and are going to start a new one. Our former small group is going to keep going. But we had the best host, the Quins. I will call out Gabe Quinn all day and Ooh. say, this guy feeds every person that nice. comes to to our group, we eat together, mm-hmm. yes. all together with our kids. The whole thing, yes, love it. We meet at uh, five forty-five because people come straight from work and yeah. we don't have time. So we eat. He makes a meal, a homemade meal for everyone. The Guy's amazing. It's an incredible host and has the gift of hospitality. Love it. And then we send the kids upstairs with the babysitter, and we go downstairs to do. And our babysitter comes and sits with us and eats, yes. and we go downstairs to do. Uh, Sorry,
1: I'm just really excited about this.
2: To do Bible study, uh, to do the like the <laughs> to discipleship this
0: part. in my life. <laughs> and I'm just telling you <laughs> the words of affirmation, I'm, like Mark's praying, like, "Oh Jesus, yes, praise God." Praise God. <laughs> and I just, I'll just tell you, we only get maybe,
2: maybe 40 minutes of Bible time, you know, of like, of, but we spend an hour eating together. Yeah, and it, it just, you don't know, yeah. you just don't know. This is yeah. something that's super important. So even if you could do it in your small group, like. Once a month, or every yes. other month, or yeah. qu- quarterly, get everyone together for a meal. Mm-hmm. It's it's a thing. It's that's what happens. So thanks for pointing that out, Megan. We appreciate you. Um, <laughs> so mission, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship. Yes. And you know, I'm not really sure. You know, we talk about the differences between just like friendship and fellowship. Right, difference between just having a relationship with somebody and having fellowship Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you guys think is like the key ingredient
0: in fellowship when I've talked about this in different forums in the past I think kind of the, the key distinction for me is fellowship is not only a relationship but it's time like shared experience together is kind of how I would describe it so it's like Most church buildings have a fellowship hall. What are the things that happen in that hall? Hmm. It's uh, potlucks. It's, you know, weddings and funerals. It's classes. It's everything in between. All of those things are shared experiences, time spent together. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just getting to know someone. It's doing things with them. And so I feel like that is the simplest way I could describe that is like, Shared experience, time spent with yeah. people. Yeah.
1: You know, like when you were sitting around the table with everyone before a small group. Like that's fellowship. But I think there's a part of it where you're intentionally getting to know what's happening in that person's life mm-hmm. so that you know maybe later or other times how to pray for that person, mm-hmm. what what they're going through. Maybe they do need a meal train started or something. You know, mm-hmm. like yep. it's really intentional hanging out and meeting together for the purpose of... Contributing to that True. discipleship, yeah. I think. Yeah. I
0: can go spend time with people at a bus stop. Yeah, but I'm not really fellowshiping fellowshipping with them, them. right? <laughs> like, what? You're
4: si- what?
3: I mean, like, how sit- creepy like- would it be to just
2: <laughs> sit with somebody and spend time with them at a bus stop? I mean, you mean for your kids? No. You don't mean like a random. Like, like a city bus stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, what I'm saying. Like there's a realtor's face <laughs> on the thing and <laughs> just a random stretched. person and sitting it's there. There's a
1: guy inside singing really loud because it's got good acoustics. So hysterical. you just yeah. go in and chat with I'm him. I'm just saying. Sing with like,
2: him. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say, I would add to the idea that, like, uh, yes, it's. Life on life. I don't know. Yeah. I know you wouldn't like that. No, uh, I,
1: that's a little too close.
2: Uh, to it's sharing phrases I don't really sharing like. life together. <laughs> sure, sure. Like Doing yeah. life together. Yes, yeah, that's uh, fun. <laughs> so there's that, but also there's a missional connection. Yeah, I've always thought yes. like we're in something together. Yep, yep. And that's what connects us. Um, it's more than just um, you know we're doing things like the first uh, group in this church was actually a softball team, and no. uh, that's not. I mean, it, it is getting to know each other. That's not necessarily fellowship in a weird way, but like, because we were all connected at a church and we all had a common mission, mm-hmm. then getting together m- and getting to know each other, felt like it was more important. Mm-hmm. You know I, what I mean? say that. So I think the common. Fellowship in some ways. Yeah. yeah. That commonality of mission yeah. is something yeah. that's really yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. So mission, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship. And the last one was worship. Yes. Which, you know, we had our worship night on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It was a, incredible success I I thought it was great I mean I loved the amount of people that showed up the energy in the room it was tons of fun it was really fun to watch our worship team kind of go to another place yeah watch Natalie be in her element and um you know our kids were in the front rows Mm -hmm. uh I had like six fourth and fifth graders (laughs) sitting up front with me who were either engaging or were going through the packet that we made for them, and yeah. um,
1: and I was having a dance party in the back with some preschoolers, right. and we were singing Hallelujah right. all over the place. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> No, we didn't
1: bring out that one. Oh man, Praise You, the Lord is what we brought out because I can shout.
0: Yeah, and that's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Scratch your friend's back, scratch the back next to you. Oh, I love that church camp, baby. Uh, <laughs> yep, sure. Yep, I know. There's
2: weirder stuff that my church camp did, but it yeah. wasn't, just wasn't that I one. Uh, we were doing Baby Shark before it was cool at yeah. our at our. Oh church yeah, camp. we were too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Lord, so Lord's Army, I like that one. So obviously, obviously, worship. I mean, you know, what was the chief end of man is to bring glory to God, right? Bring so it. I mean, yeah. worship is is obviously part of a believer's life and part of a church's life. And so these are sort of the things that we see in this. And I would just add one more thing. It says that they were, um, you know, it's not part of the five purposes that you know gets laid out here, but um, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. Hmm. Something about that church, and when I say it was Winsome, this is where I get that idea. Mm -hmm. People loved that church. People loved that community hmm. There w- wasn't even people that, you know, had joined it yet. All the people means all the people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So they were sort of um, respected and seen as a good thing in their community, even by people who weren't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why, like, they probably had protection in public because the religious leaders who would have been against them would have been afraid of the people. Right. Like the people were with them. Mm-hmm. And this is a bunch of times we see in Jesus's, you know, thing. And we, even in the beginning of Jesus thing, <laughs> <as> Jesus <laughs> is coming to a, a conflict point with the religious leaders. It says they couldn't do anything to him because the people were with him. Yeah. Right. And we see it in the first church, like there, there's a, a bit of a protection that comes along with the idea that people were with him. But but step back and ask the question, why were the people with him? You know, and mm-hmm. so for me, it's like the church needs to make sure that we are having a positive impact in the community beyond ourselves and making sure that we are earning that respect and trust from people who aren't even with us. Yeah. That they see that this is a church that's different than what we're used to seeing or like what we expect. And I always think about that when I'm talking with somebody or trying to share things about who we are, or, you know, trying to have this conversation. Like, I want to subvert their expectations. Whatever they think we're supposed to be like, I want us to be like, you know, subverting those expectations. Whatever they think a pastor's supposed to be like, I want to subvert that Mm -hmm. expectation. Like there was one time where I was invited to go to this like poker night with one of my friends. And uh, he had like all these pretty rough friends, buddies, Mm -hmm. people he'd played sports with, people he'd been friends with growing up. He invited all his buddies over to his house and he opened up his garage and set up a couple poker tables and was just hosting a poker night. I was, me and him were probably the only Christians in the room. So you can imagine the roughness of the crowd, right? These are just dudes being dudes, non-Christian guys. They're all like in their 20s. Um, It's just, it's rough. It's a Mm -hmm. rough place to be. It's like, you know, it's like every bit of language is being used. I mean, people are drinking pretty significantly. There's, you know, smoke filled. And one of them at some point was like, hey, what do you do? And I was like, at the pastor. time, I was a youth pastor. He's like, what'd you say? Mm-hmm. I was like, pastor. I was like, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. He's like, what? You're a youth pastor? He's like, <laughs> and <laughs> then, and he dropped like, he dropped yeah. like four like swears and was yeah. like, I'm so effing sorry for swearing in front of you. <laughs> like, I feel <laughs> terrible about it now, and I was just like. Yeah. I'm not an, I'm a normal guy. Like whatever. Like it's, I'm not, <laughs> did you go, uh, it's, <clears throat> it's all right. My child, <laughs> <laughs> right, you're you're, you need the video for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you have to subvert their expectations. What they think about you mm-hmm. is, you know, whatever it's, mm-hmm. you have to realize, they have to realize you're a normal person. You're a trustworthy person. You're, you know, available to them. And I think people need to feel that way about our church. This is why from day one, we chose local partners yep. make a difference in their lives. We've earned their trust to a very significant place where we're able now to you know be real partners mm-hmm. and for us to be able to share all of what they're doing and for us to be able to you know yep. help in any way. Yep. I also think you know as people come to those events like like the community fair and stuff like that, they uh they start to build that trust they mm-hmm. start to have their expectations subverted they are you know being winsome yeah. so um bobby's just plugging in she may disappear come back later um okay so that would be the one other thing i would have added to that to that conversation yeah um, is that you know you have mission evangelism discipleship fellowship worship i would say that winsome thing is really important and that trust with the community is really important that's something you got to be working on on as a church.
0: Yeah. And I think like one thing uh, to remember here is so like you started off this podcast talking, like recapping like the events at the end of the gospels when Jesus is crucified, comes back to life, you know, reunites with the disciples, spends time with them, instructing them and then promises the Holy spirit and then goes up into heaven. And so like, even though they were instructed and told, These things are still like really fresh, you know, and a lot of this is just happening organically, I think, through the power of the spirit. It's not like it's not like they were constantly going back and being like, oh, did we evangelize today? Check that box. Like it was just um, it was organic and it was natural. And so I think one thing that we as Christians need to remind ourselves as we're on this rescue mission is like we're we're trying to rescue like our natural state of being. And so these things should feel natural as we start doing them correctly. Um, and it should also be fun. You yeah. know, I love that word winsome, like I said. And I think that part part of the problem that we have in the modern church in, you know, in white America is that. We have, these things have changed and morphed and grown so much over the last 2,000 years. We were taking this moment to to not only realize, we're becoming self-aware that like, yeah, this is not what it was meant to be. And we're having to rediscover what it is. And so it's a journey and it's a process. But at the end of the day, it should feel natural and it should be fun. And that's really, for me, that's a big part of the reason why is I'm not comfortable continuing to do church, to continuing continue being a Christian the way I've been doing it. I want it to be better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well,
2: I wanted to just do a couple things here. Uh, one is I wanted to point out the idea that small groups is our method of getting around the table. It's our method of mm-hmm. uh, getting the fellowship piece of it beyond what happens on a Sunday. It's our method of a lot of discipleships happening in small groups um it is it is our method of care in this church if you're mm-hmm. not in a small group there isn't somebody paying attention to your life in, at that granular level you can fall through the cracks and be some you know dealing with things on your own that we don't exactly know about mm-hmm. so if you're at our church and you're not joining a small group like uh i don't know where you're at like you, you're you're missing it like that's that is the pl- place a lot of the stuff's happening and um we have ones that meet just about every night of the week. We've got ones for just about every stage of life. We've got, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got a whole bunch. We're rebuilding a bunch. We're starting new ones. Like there's a lot of opportunity to get involved. And if you haven't mm-hmm. now, would be a good time to let us know you want to be in one. Um, I'd also like to clarify my house church comments. Cause I mentioned on Sunday and I believe this fully, I'm standing by it, that the house church movement is a very selfish place. And, um, I will say, you know, there is a push in the house church movement and I'll, Like, you know, this is BF Francis Chan. uh, If you're not aware of it, there's a pretty big push to, like, go back to just meeting in homes. I understand where that comes from. Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, There is something happening in homes that is beautiful, that needs to be part of your church. It is why we do small groups. Mm -hmm. We think that's important. Mm -hmm. But when you make that the only thing that you do, and you don't necessarily have a, a method of growing and splitting or changing that in like in, in being able to, um, you know, allow for new people to be joining in a way like it becomes a self-serving version of church mm-hmm. incredibly fast. If the mega church is a problem for people becoming sort of consumers, the house church is a problem for people ever doing any sort of evangelism or outreach mm-hmm. And the first church not only met in homes and around tables, but they also met in public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also went out and taught in public. You're going to see it here in the next section after Acts yeah. chapter two. It's in there as well. You know, they're in the temple courts. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be a public expression of church that mm-hmm. happens assembled that is inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. And in my uh, experience people who have wanted to go towards this house church model in the beginning have thought this would be great. The, the type of community is a different type of community that happens. We get really into each other's lives. But what happens is then almost, you know, other people aren't necessarily invited into that because now you have this group of people for you. And what it becomes is this like, you know, ingrown self-serving. It's a consumeristic <laughs> thing on the other end of the spectrum, yeah. the spectrum this works for us and our family. We're not, we don't care about reaching out to anyone else. It's very internally focused. It, it just, mm-hmm. it turns quick. It yeah. turns quick. Mm-hmm. We see this in our own small groups Yeah. where if they're, if they're together too long, this is why we push on people a lot. If they're together too long, they become uh, the kind of place where we want to go so deep that no one else could ever find a foothold in this place. Yeah. I've told groups before, like, hey, you guys have been meeting for a couple years now and we're not putting anyone else in your group because... We feel like they're showing up to someone else's family reunion. Yeah. And they're just not going to ever connect in your group. Mm-hmm. We've now washed out two or three families that we try to connect in your group. And it's because you guys are literally too, like, I know that sounds crazy, but you're like, you're like too uh, internally focused and too connected in too a weird exclusive. way. Like, you okay. feel like you want to share at the deepest level possible. Um, well, you're gonna have to risk sometimes you're gonna have mm-hmm. to share with people that are new to your group. And yeah. if you feel like it throws off the entire group, when somebody else joins, you, you're, you've got some issues, like go get coffee with somebody and share at yeah. that level if you yeah. really want to. Yeah. Um, and so that, that like, that concept to me is a, is a very selfish form of church. I understand that this is, uh, could be seen as self-serving. I run a church, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I care about the Sunday form. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a lot of people are walking away. And I mean, it,
0: it's like akin to like if you're doing a sermon about giving, you know, you're a pastor who want, needs people to give money to your <laughs> church. It is self-serving, but it's also not because you care about the church. I mean, the reason we meet yeah. together on Sundays, you know, is because we care about unity. in the body. And we want to be directed together so we're all pulling in the same direction. I mean, that's a very strong principle that is laid Mm -hmm. forth in Scripture about what the body of Christ is meant to do. And you can't do that if you're just a bunch of cells that don't really meet and communicate and you're very exclusive and internally focused. You know, all of these different things that we're talking about, it's like, we talk about the problem of like a megachurch. And God still uses megachurches. They're totally fine. Uh, But like, if you take that rationale or that motivation far enough down a certain timeline, then it becomes wrong. It becomes self-serving. It becomes abusive. It becomes really the opposite of what it was intended to be, you know? And so any of these things, like whether it's mega church house church, any of them, there's a good side and there's a bad side. And we're trying to find the good side, the healthy side, what is laid out in scripture, like what you're talking about, you know?
2: And, And also don't let one of these things take over. Like the church that's only evangelistic is the most obnoxious place in the world. The church that's only discipleship Mm -hmm. is again, an internally focused, uh, college seminary. The church that's only fellowship is not making a difference in anyone's life or making a difference in the community. The church that's only worship and
0: like weekend focused is not really doing a whole lot. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, like God, you know, loves worship but there's many stories in the bible where god's like i don't want your worship right like, you know i don't yeah you're not you're missing the whole thing so yeah. why are you praising me like yeah
2: and for me i love the fact that we're in public yeah yeah like now you have churches that are saying hey we built this beautiful building now come to us and this is again a thing that i think worked better in the 80s and 90s
3: mm-hmm.
2: they like they looked at it and went, that church must be successful. Look at that building. They've raised that much money. That must mean yeah. that what's going on there is great. Yeah. And we're like, no, we're going to be in your space. We're coming to you. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in your community center, in the mm-hmm. place that you're used to being. Mm-hmm. We're we're coming to you. Yeah. We're not expecting you to come to us. So, I mean, that is philosophical as well. Um, So, yeah, those are the kind of pieces I wanted to make sure I got in there, is just to clarify the small group thing and then to talk about small groups, or clarify the house church thing and then talk about small groups. Um. And then lastly, I just want to do Pastor's Corner. I'm going to do this now. You can turn me off if you don't want to listen to it. A <laughs> um,
1: music to right. segue into this. No, yeah. <laughs> so um,
2: and I just I just want to, you know, cr- Christmas time's coming. Um, you're going to see memes online that, you know, and I think politically we've got some, some memes that are coming out of Russia or wherever they're coming from. Um, and I'm just going to give you a little warning. Stop it with the victim mentality. Mm -hmm. Christians are not a victim in our country. We're not victims. We have this idea that people are against us. They might be, they might be against your, your values and what you're deciding to, to do, but there is no danger to us right now. We can meet anytime we want. I know that that was like during COVID people were like, look, they're trying to keep us from meeting. They're trying to keep everybody from meeting. There was, I can tell you in this state for sure, there was no decision made to try to hold back Christians or to try to, you know, uh, persecute Christians. I think we're falling in love with this idea that we're um, a uh, persecuted minority. And we need to stop that. We're not a persecuted minority. We are free to assemble, free to worship, free to do. We are... Running into the issue that we are not the popular culture, yep, and that's okay. Which we were it, it, right. So this, it's this country counter to what we're used yes, to. Yes, but yeah. that ship has already way sailed, mm-hmm. and there is no battle to be had. Yep, and if we think that we're going to call ourselves a persecuted minority and then try to fight to bring back Christian values into the ma- the majority culture. Um, all we're going to do in that process is make ourselves irrelevant. All we're going to do in that process is lose mission mm-hmm. and get our churches uh, disunified. I think I had this problem last time. We're going to lose unity. Yeah. We're, going to, uh, we're going to kind of move left and right into our camps. Yeah, It's going to hurt the, the mission of our church. It's going to hurt the way the world sees our church. We need to stop this. You're not a persecuted minority. Uh, You you need to stop. You get to make decisions and you need to live with the consequences of the decisions that you make. Sometimes the government is, you know, trying to encourage you to make a decision you don't want to make. And you don't have to make it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't make it, deal with the consequences quietly.
0: Yeah, I think I would say two things. I would say when you hear that message, wherever you hear it from, that we're a persecuted minority – think about who's benefiting from this message. Like, who does it actually help? You know? Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that, let's be honest, Christians in the United States of America, were are too big of a group of voters for to be persecuted by the yeah. government or by a political party. Both political parties want Christians. The government wants Christians on their side. We're not going to be alienated. We're not going to be shoved into a corner. Yeah. We're not going to be you know, disengaged by any sort of group because people want to use our votes, they wanna us to they want to use our money, you know. We are a commodity that is not gonna go away. And so I think the reality is is that whatever that message is that's being put out there, whether it's this one specifically that we're a persecuted minority, or if it's something else, you know, T (laughs) B D, like you just have to think, like Christians were too big of a group to ignore. And so if that message is out there, then it's being put out there by someone or something that is going to serve them or serve their agenda or yeah. something. Yeah.
2: And I would say the church has thrived as a as a minority, as a counterculture mm-hmm. within any form of government it's been in throughout all of time since it began. Yep. The church survived the first three centuries. It's the hallmark of the church, actually. (laughs) Where it was daily being persecuted. Yeah. Yeah. We survived that those three centuries. The church should not exist. It should have died during those three centuries. We survived. We went into a time where we became the majority culture, where, like, the Rome and Mm -hmm. the Catholic Church essentially said, we're going to get together on this, and we're going to make institutionalized Christianity. And it was one of the most horrific time periods of the Christian church ever. When we mix Christianity and majority culture or Christianity and government, we are entering into a very dangerous time. That is one. It is, yeah. it, it is a horrific version of what the church is. If you just
0: yes. look at it from a purely historical perspective, evidence-based, this is what happened in 100%. history. You can see that this pattern play out, has played out half a dozen times over the last 2000, 2000 years. Is For sure. Exactly <laughs> what you're saying. When the church is independent, not part of culture, not part of government, it thrives. You cannot get rid of it. It actually grows. Yep. It's only when it becomes part of the popular culture or part of the government or the ruling entity when it gets power in that realm that's when it becomes abusive, uh, corrupt, right. whatever you know negative thing you it was. That's those are the only only times that happens. And right. so, so yeah, we're grasping tightly
2: to hold on to the pop the majority culture that we
0: um, once had <laughs> yeah, yeah, that <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't even c- currently celebrated yeah. or yeah. we, we were had, yeah.
2: and yeah. I'm just telling you that was bad for the church. Yeah. yeah. That this is actually the place we want to be. Mm-hmm. We want to be the counterculture. And if you want to understand what that means, it is quietly it is in humility living out your values mm-hmm. in front of the world and going about the things that you see as the most important pieces which as we saw today should be missional living. It should be as Jesus said, going, making disciples, right, uh, teaching them to obey everything i 've commanded to you, uh, baptizing them. It should be focused on being witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out to the ends of the earth. Um, you know we don 't want to revel in being persecuted minorities we 're not looking to win. The battle of being a victimhood in our yeah. in our country. By the way, the people who hate the idea of victimhood the most are now trying to claim it for Christians, and it's a bananas idea. You're, you know, you're basically saying, no, we have persecuted minorities all over our country that I'm against the ideas and values and norms of them, mm-hmm. and I think that they shouldn't be victims, and no one's a victim, and never, but then we go and claim that we're victims. Like, get out of here, just because you can't say Merry Christmas to somebody does not mean you're a victim, right? You're allowed to be free and to worship and to do your thing, so quietly live out your values in a in a counterculture. Mm-hmm. Like, there should be a current of Christian counterculture underneath the majority culture that is a, so winsome that it's bringing people into the church during this time, and we are seeing ourselves flourish during that, that time, not getting ourselves into political debates further away from each other in unity, uh, making our lives about issues that aren't missional or mission related, like take a step back and say, what's the most important thing to me right now? What do I talk about the most? What am I fighting over? What am I angsty about? And I bet you, it's not unsaved people who don't know Jesus. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: I bet you it's not. I bet you it's mask related or vaccine related or political or, you know, or whatever, there's some sort of thing that's probably more important to you. And it's like, find a way to Mm -hmm. let all that junk go. So you can focus on the mission of being a Christian, which is Matthew 28, acts one eight. Let's do those things. Let's stay focused on what we're trying to do. And, you know, I'm not sure there's enough churches that are communicating that, Mm -hmm. but it's just one of those things that I want to continue to remind you of. Like, you know, don't play the victim. Mm -hmm. Don't take that role. Stay focused on what you're doing. Live the counterculture. Mm -hmm. Live it. Be happy to to deal with whatever uh, responses or whatever consequences come out of that. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is. Whatever it is that happens to you for living as a Christian, wear it as a a badge of honor. Because, you know, as James would say, uh, as Paul talked about, like... When we suffer for Jesus, when we find ourselves in a situation where we're being persecuted, if that's really what's happening, when we when we find ourselves in places where we're struggling, uh, we're doing it on behalf of Jesus. That's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, like, I can't remember where I heard this comment from, but someone said, um, you know, just looking at culture, This person basically said, like, if we had half of the Christian angst that is currently present for vaccine mandates and mask mandates, and we applied that to, like, injustice or feeding the hungry, you know, healing the sick, helping the homeless or, you know, the mentally ill find resources, like, the world would be a much, much better place. You know, like, we would be living on our mission in some pretty practical, impactful ways, and yet... It feels like we, I don't want to say we're co-opted, but we get caught up in these things that it's not persecution and it's not, I don't know, it's not what's being laid out in Acts like we're talking about today.
2: So just my encouragement to you, Yeah. not judging you for whatever your beliefs are. It's a free country. Knock yourself out. Let's stay focused on the mission. So. Yes. That was Amen. my pastor's corner. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> we'll try to bring up some sort of topic that's uncomfortable at the end of these podcasts if I can for just a minute. Yeah. Um, and this one I think yeah. r- went with our,
0: our conversation today. So yep. yeah. we'll be back next week, everybody. Uh send us your questions, whether that's on the Facebook chat or you can email, text us. Um we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to interact with some of the thoughts, feelings, and questions that you guys are having to throughout the week and as we navigate uh the rest of the series here for good. Thanks cool, everybody. Cool. See you later.
4: Bye. Bye.